0: Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves.
0: Deus, de et Fugiancio Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered, let all those who hate him flee from before his face. So I want to talk today about the four political archetypes the actual political archetypes. I've often said that politics is an expression of one's religion, and so it stands to reason that the archetypes that we keep using, left versus right and all that, you know, conservative versus liberal or progressive or you know Republican versus Democrat, these are not the political archetypes. If you ever wonder why people have such a hard time fitting everybody into those two little boxes, it's because there are actually four political archetypes and they they look completely different than what than what the common wisdom if you can call it even wisdom but if the the common consensus of politics is <clears throat> This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic let's get started with a prayer In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti Amen Sancta Michael Archangele defendenos in proelio contra nequitiam et insidias diaboli ostpraesidium IMPERETILI li deus supplicis de percamor, princeps milijae calestis, satana maliosque spiritus mali- malignos, qui ad marimarum, pervegantur in mundo, divina virtute, in infernum DETRUDE. Amen. Cor Jesu sacratissimum, miserere nobis. Mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Beatus carolus e domo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facim tuum et salvi animus. Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. So, by the time you're hearing this podcast, the uh, podcast that I did with uh, Eric Gajewski over on Trad Cat Night, um, has already published. The It is behind a paywall, but it's actually where I started to exposit uh, the political archetypes. The the political archetypes can be divided into rich versus poor, and then idealist versus in the club. Now, rich doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. Rich is how people understand money. Poor is how pe- rich and poor is how people understand money, and then the idealism versus the club. The club are the ones who are with the political status quo. They're the big government, new world order, uh, Freemasonic archetype, and then the idealist who actually wants to do what they kind of understand as being sort of more in line with the Christian ideal. Now, included in that category are traditional Catholics and the more traditionally-minded Protestants. Now, the more traditional your thought process is, the further away from usury you want to get. There are none in the, traditional, in the traditionally Christian mindset who are among the rich. They are, however, among the idealist. You have the in-the-club versus the idealist, because the in-the-club are the ones who believe that big government is the answer, and those people can be found in both the rich and the poor categories. What differentiates the rich from the poor is the poor have a traditional understanding of money. You work for your income. You work. You, you, you eat of the fruits of your labor. The rich eat of the fruits of other people's labor because they understand money is debt debt equals money for them it's about cash flow it's not about what it's not about property
1: <clears throat>
0: the rich see see assets and they see liabilities so rich people will have multiple properties that they rent out that they use for businesses or whatever the poor people collect a paycheck and you can tell the difference in in the in the mindset because there are some very wealthy people who are still in the poor category. So, for example, um, I'll use Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck provides services that generate income. So he's got a radio program, he's got a cable TV channel or an internet TV channel, as it were. Um, you know, he's got the Blaze. The Blaze provides a service. That service receives income from advertisements and subscriptions. So there's a product and there's an income. So technically, while I'm sure he doesn't collect a paycheck in the traditional sense, Glenn Beck is in the poor man category, despite the fact that he is very obviously at a financial level that most people aren't. On the other side of the coin, you have Jack Dorsey, you have Elon Musk, you have Donald Trump. They, as a broad scope, and, and, I, and, I, say, and I say the three of them, but included with them is like Jeff Bezos and George Soros and Bill Gates and all, like, all of the really, truly wealthy people, like the phenomenally wealthy people. They have assets and liabilities, not income and debt. And that's really where the two where the two um, where the two categories really split off. A rich person sees money as sees money as an object used to make more money. Like it's like it's literally simply they take you know they, you buy a piece of property you take out a loan to buy the property you rent the property out you receive income from the property but you don't actually use the like you don't actually use the property on your own you rent it out for other people. Now, in that scenario, the rich deny ownership to the poor, because if you're renting your house, if you're renting your apartment, if you're renting the location that your business is, the business is, itself is yours, but what is the business? The business is the sum of all the products, that, the products and services that you use. You might rent a facility to to operate your business out of, but because you don't own that property, you're still in the income versus debt part of the equation. See, and you can have very wealthy people, very successful people who have a lot of money who from the person who doesn't have a lot of money would look at them and say they're rich. You look at I would look at Glenn Beck and given the fact that he's been able to start a bit he's been able to start a business, he runs his business, Um, and he makes a tremendous amount of money, enough that he has employees, etc. I would say he is, like, from a pragmatic standpoint, he's rich. But he's not among the rich. The truly rich are people who run financial services. The truly rich are people who run real estate firms, be it commercial real estate or residential real estate. The truly wealthy people move money, they don't keep money. They take out loans. They take out loans. They use those loans to buy stuff. That stuff incurs debt. You don't get taxed on your debt. <clears throat> but as long but as long as you continue to move money, you will continue to be you will continue to have more credit. You will continue to have more debt available to you. The debt side of the equation is where money is created. Banks don't lend out money they have. They lend out they lend out money that is created against the money that they have, but they don't lend out the money that they have. That's why they that's why you have you can have a relatively small bank giving multi-million dollar loans to people who, you know, don't really need the money because they're buying, you know, they're buying a new property or starting a new business venture or whatever, and all they're doing is generating wealth. But wealth is debt. Wealth is cash flow. It's about the movement of money, not the keeping of money. Wealth generation in this country is fundamentally usury because the money comes from nowhere and it ends up, the costs of which end up on the backs of the people who have debt and income. Because if you go out and you work and you make a pay and you make a live, you earn a paycheck. That paycheck goes to pay off loans almost 100% of the time. There are very few people who are <clears throat> who are full owners of all of the property that they have. Most have some kind of debt. <clears throat> and the more and, and even someone like Glenn Beck, he has more debt than you would think because he has to continue to build, to continue to grow, and that requires more and more resources. And so, someone like Glenn Beck, even though he is still in the poor category, he's right up on that line, and he hasn't gone over to the full-on usury. You can almost say that usury is actually the use of money versus the keeping of money. Now, people look at Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk, and particularly, actually, everybody's been looking at Elon Musk because he owns Twitter, and Twitter is a um, social media platform. And he's sometimes does stuff that's very pro free speech. And sometimes does stuff that's very like, well, questionable when you, when taken up against the concept of what free speech is. Now, for those of us who are traditionally minded Catholics, we understand that nobody really believes in free speech. It's all in about expedience. It's all about what is expedient and convenient. Now, someone like Elon Musk clearly doesn't believe in free speech because since he took over the platform, they've actually done a lot of stuff to get child porn off of the platform. Most people would say that's a big win. But pornography is speech. Child or otherwise, pornography is still speech, it's not good speech. It's evil speech at its core. But if you were really a free speech purist, you would just let it go. And this is kind of the most clear example that you can use to prove to people that nobody really believes in free speech. So it should not be a surprise that the people in the New World Order, they don't believe in free speech because they believe their speech is the only speech that should be free because their speech is the truth in their own heavily deeply corrupted minds whereas traditionalists be that in the catholic community or even or even in the in the protestant christian community those who those who understand that christ is the truth in made flesh they believe differently and if you're a traditional catholic we believe error has no right you have the right to be misti- to make a mistake. You don't have a right to stay living in that mistake. Once you stay living in, in that mistake, it's now no longer an honest mistake. Now you are committing error, and error has no rights. Error has no right to speech. Error has no right to expression. Error has no right to assembly. Error has no right to, to, <clears throat> to petition any government for the redress of any grievances against it because it is error. So the first amendment doesn't even come into play in the case of error because we believe that error has no rights. You don't have you, you don't have the right to stay hidden. You don't you, you don't have any of any of the rights that are that are enumerated in the bill of rights. You don't have any of those rights because if you're living in error, you have suspended your right. We have the right to live in the truth. It was the whole point that man Come to know, recognize, and love truth, and serve truth. Anything else is a falsehood, and anything else has no right. But Elon Musk obviously didn't make his money from Twitter. And he didn't make his money from Tesla. He didn't make his money from SpaceX. Elon Musk falls in the category of an idealist because he made his money through usury. He made his money from PayPal. His fortune began with PayPal. Full stop. Now, he operates SpaceX because he believes that mankind has a destiny in the stars, or it has no other destiny whatsoever. Because eventually, because it is in his conception, eventually we're going to get hit with a giant rock. It's going to wipe life off of the planet. And if humanity is only on Earth, then humanity effectively just got wiped out. That is an ideal in his mind. Like, that that, that, that falls within the ideals of his, of his mentality. And so he pushes, for the benefit of others, from something that could be regarded as a Christian ideal for the salvation of mankind on a material level. Donald Trump is the same way. Now, he's not pushing for space travel or whatever, but he has a a deep connection with all of his employees. Everybody that works for Donald Trump knows they're working for somebody who is actually looking out for their interests as much as he can. The construction workers who contract for him, he meets that He meets them. He greets them. He talks to them. He sees what it is that he gets the information from the ground level, so that he can make the best decisions that are the best decisions not only for his business but also for his employees, even even if those employees are contractors. He is the quintessential Stephen uh, Stephen Covey win-win scenario thinker. He's not interested in solely his gain. He's interested in in building something that in building a legacy. Legacy, come, legacy actually comes from building things that last for the benefit of more than just himself and more than just his own family. Now, yes, it's his name on all the billboards, it's his name on all the buildings, and he is the one leading the organization, but he is leading the organization not solely for his own benefit. He falls within the category of idealist, even if those ideals are not necessarily Christian, because his ideal is to try and make the world a better, more beautiful place. That's why he's always talking about how he uses the most beautiful materials, how he uses the best construction, how he uses, how he does everything the best. It's in part pride on his, you know, it's in part pride, it's in large part pride, but it also has to do with but it also has to do with the fact that he wants people who work for him to believe that they're working for the best organization for an organization that works in his, in their best interests at its core it makes him among the better of men even if he's not necessarily a good man On the other side of that coin in the rich in in the rich people category are people like Bill Gates, people like Jeff Bezos, people like George Soros or Klaus Schwab. They're also trying to build something permanent. But they don't care how much blood has to be spilled. They don't care how many people have to suffer. They don't care about any of that. And they're in the club. Because the whole thing is to get other people to not care about all of those things. To say that you care, to pretend that you care, but to not actually care. On the poor side of the house, you have people, like I was saying, who have income who have income and debt because they work for a living, they earn a paycheck, maybe they invest some money in the stock market, maybe they do, but they do, but they use money in a more traditional sense. In a sense that is... Better understood by Christians. And and Christ's disciples. You don't work, you don't eat. Kind of like that. Now, I work with someone who is among the rich. Most of the people that I work with are poor. My boss, my boss's boss even the vice president of the company that I work for, they're all in the category of poor. There is one of my peers who literally does the job as a hobby. He does it to keep busy. He does it because he believes he needs to keep busy. So he works, he goes to the gym, he exercises this, that, and the other. He collects a paycheck, he does collect a paycheck, but he doesn't handle money the same way. He doesn't handle money the same way as anybody else in the building. Everybody else, they work. Some people are working from paycheck to paycheck because they spend way too much money. Some people are able to do a little bit better for themselves because they save more money. Some people, like, they're, you know, depending on the category. And I know people in both categories that all make the same pay. That are all at the bottom of what you would call the bottom of the totem pole in the pay scale. Where you have some people who are just simply more prudent who are better put together, who, you know, they don't, they don't live beyond their means. And then you have some people who live beyond their means. And so you end up with a really interesting cross-section when you look across the board, because it's even the people at the bottom of the pay scale and they're doing fairly well for themselves, but they work for a living. They're closer to the ideals. They spend the money that they need to spend. They don't take out excess loans. They don't put themselves in excess debt. They understand that to take out a loan is to deny themselves the future and to potentially deny their children of a future because debt enslaves. At least it it enslaves the poor. Now the reason why rich people can never be, I like, Catholic, truly Catholic, is because usury is—it's not part and parcel. It is the system by which they make money. Remember, the rich man came up to came up to Jesus and said, "Okay, I, what must I do to attain heaven?" to attain the kingdom, to attain greatness. And Jesus says to him, sell everything that you have and come and follow me. And he went away because he was very wealthy. He went away sad because he was very wealthy. Because to live out the fullest Christian ideal is to have no regard for any of your wealth accrual. Is to see everything that you have in largesse as belonging to the poor when they ask, to live precisely at your means, to lean on God for everything that you have. And God will take care of you. He's not necessarily gonna put you at the highest echelons of, of wealth and power, but if you're already at the higher echelons of wealth and power, and you want to follow Christ, it becomes a very, very difficult thing indeed, because you have to stop doing that which got you to the level of success that you are at. So Donald Trump, if he ever becomes a traditional Catholic, you'll see him change everything fundamentally. Elon Musk, the same way. If he ever converts, you will see him change the way he does everything. And we should be praying for their conversion. We should be praying for their salvation. doesn't really matter who they are. You should be praying for Klaus Schwab's conversion. Imminently, because he is, he is much, much closer to the end of his life than he is to the beginning. Likewise with Joe Biden and, you know, Kamala Harris and all those idiots in Washington. We should be praying for all of their conversion. And it gets gets to be a little bit bitter on that end because, you know, let's be real. I, it, as long as Joe Biden carries on in the direction he's going, I don't want that near me. I don't want to stand next to him. By, I don't want to kneel next to him at the communion rail. I don't want to have anything to do with him as long as he stays, in the, stays where he's at. It also makes, because of that fact, it makes it really, really difficult to pray for him. Praying for him is an extra sacrifice. I know it. I don't want to have anything to do with a guy. And even if he does convert, I don't know that I would ever want anything to do with a guy. Because we know full well, he cannot speak a word of truth. Not one. And that's what the the post-Vatican II Catholicism gets you. This whole new church garbage, that's what that gets you. People who cannot speak the truth. They don't even understand the truth. They've had the truth obfuscated from them for so long that they don't know what truth is. They've never met him. They don't see him up at the altar at the holy sacrifice of the mass. They don't see him ever. They see pictures of him, but but to them, they're just that. People who are so lost that it makes it really, really hard to pray for them. Just like it's it's really, really difficult to pray for the Pope. I'm happy whenever he says something that's that's even partially Catholic, but he's a communist. Communist communism is it's not even it's beyond an error, it's an apostasy. And the way he sees it, it's a constant blasphemy as well. Makes it very difficult to pray for the Pope. Because if that's what he believes, I don't want to know him. I don't want to know him. I don't want to receive communion from him. I don't want to have anything to do with him. And that goes for Cardinal Roach and and all of the other and all of the other psychopathic cardinals, Cardinal McElroy, all them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. It does not even matter that according to their state and their status, the blessings that they give are more potent. They're more powerful. The problem is is that their mentality is such that the blessings they give are actually curses. They don't know it. They're just trying to do their own thing in accordance with the new church. They're trying to be part of the club. definitively anti-catholic anyway speaking of the club let's shift over to the poor people who are in the club the poor people who are in the club believe all of the garbage that the devil has taught taught the world over the last 100 200 years they don't see a problem with debt they're willing to live in debt even though it enslaves them even though it destroys them they don't see a problem with usury they don't even they couldn't even tell you what usury is they don't sense it when it, they don't sense it when it's happening they don't understand that they're slaves to it they don't understand that by co- by cooperating with all of those things they make themselves more and more a slave to people who move money around who are not interested in their well-being at all And that's where you get all of the henchmen. It's pretty much where all of the Antifa people come from. It's where all of the political activists come from. Because because at some point, they kind of all know that everything is just words. Political ideologies, governmental systems, all of this stuff is just words. It might be words on paper, but paper doesn't really mean a whole lot. What means a whole lot is who actually has the power and the control. The people in the club understand, because they don't understand Christianity, they don't understand the faith, they don't understand truth, they do, however, understand that power dictates the society. Which is why you constantly hear them harping about gun control, because they don't want the guns in your hands, they want the guns in their hands so they can do whatever it is that they want, so they can live the lives that they want free from God. It's why all everything that they ever put their hands to turns into a hellscape. Because they're not interested in the greater good. They're not interested in the common good. They're not interested in good whatsoever. They're interested in things that the church has always taught were evil. They don't want to have to work for their money. They don't want to have to do anything sacrificial. They don't want to make the sacrifices. They don't want to live according to what God told Adam. By the sweat of your brow, you'll toil in the earth, in thorns and thistles. They don't want to have anything to do with that. They just want what they want. Now, among them, you could probably count a bunch of YouTubers and all of that, but even they, even YouTubers still, on some level, provide a service. They just provide a service that generates them significantly more income that allows them to keep from getting their hands out actually dirty in some cases, most of my favorite YouTubers actually build stuff, do stuff, provides like actually do stuff, do heavy lifting. So they're a little bit different because they're still doing the work. They're still providing a product. They're still providing a service and they're still comfortably among the poor, no matter how much money they make doing it. The people in the club don't want anybody not in the club to have guns, for example. They don't want them to have weapons. Weapons provides a power that, when exercised outside of the proper authority, can destabilize everything. They understand that. That's the reason reason why all their people have guns and nobody's saying anything about it. Left-wingers don't actually believe that people shouldn't have guns. They just want the people that they want to have guns have guns. And it doesn't matter that eventually those people with the guns are, are going to turn on them and, e- and either enslave or kill them. Just like they don't mind working working and, and taking out a whole bunch of debt, even though debt enslaves, because they don't actually mind being the slaves to their debt. They'll gripe about it, they'll complain about it, but they don't mind. Because if they did mind, they would do what a, they would do what a traditionalist would do, which is to put yourself in a position to make sure that you're either a never in debt or that your debt is always kept to a minimum so that you have the constant so that you have the constant capacity to be free. Actually free. Now I've always said that there are two types of free people in the world. there are people who have nothing and people who have everything. And the people who have everything, they are obviously free because they can do whatever they want because they have everything. And the people who have nothing are obviously free because they have nothing tying them down. And everyone in the middle is a slave to whatever that they have. Everyone in the middle is a slave to, every, to what they have. The Catholic approach is to have nothing. The most Catholic approach is to have nothing. This way, no man can tie you down. Not a banker, not a lawyer, not a governor, not even the president. The alternative to that one, the very opposite end of the spectrum, is to work to have everything. So that when someone tries to tie you down, you can throw some of that everything at them to get them off your back. Catholics and Christians, true Catholics, true Christians, understand that our fate is not this world. This world is a bus. It's transportation from point A to point B, where point A is birth and point point B is death. To test us. To figure out what kind of metal we're made of. Well, why does God allow suffering in the world? God allows suffering in the world to find out what you're made of. To anybody who gripes about suffering, I can point them at the making of a sword. What it takes to make a sword. Because nobody ever asks themselves what it's like for the metals that go into making a sword to be made into a sword. Because you're taking iron and you're taking carbon, you're taking all of these rudimentary elements from the earth. They were perfectly content there, they were perfectly comfortable there. You mix them together, you stick them in a fire. You melt them down, you turn them into an ingot. That ingot eventually gets beaten. It gets heated and beaten again and again and turns into a bar. That bar gets ground on and heated and beaten and gets turned into a blade. That blade gets ground and polished, tempered, which is heating, and cooled, forced into things that it would not normally have to deal with. The iron in the ground doesn't have to deal with going into the fire, doesn't have to deal with being beaten by a hammer, doesn't have to be doesn't have to deal with all of the very very painful processes of becoming a sword. It's perfectly content being iron. Why? Cuz it makes no effort to do anything but. Which is exactly what humanity is like. We make no effort to be anything but human, and then God pulls us from the earth, puts us in the fire and tests us beats on us grinds on us why because he's looking for a beautiful sword he's looking for a piece of art he's looking for an effective weapon and he wants you to be that weapon but you have to cooperate and so you put in the fire you're put in the flames you're put you're put through the beatings and the grindings and the sanding, and the polishing, and all of those things that if it was actually happening to your skin, you would understand that that is the perfect metaphor. Remember, man, you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. Iron is dust. Ultimately, even the greatest of swords will return to dust. Unless they're worthy worthy of being put in the museum, on display for all to see, shined and polished, the magnificent piece of art that God intended you to be. I wasn't expecting to hit that topic again, but here we are. Now when you're looking at at those four political groups, you have the rich, you have the poor, you have the idealist, and you have the club. The idealists are always gonna try and do whatever it is that they think is best. In the poor category of the idealist is where you find traditional Christians and Catholics. Why? Because we refuse to use the tools of the wealthy. Because we understand that the tools of the wealthy are evil, they're chains. They get us depending on material things rather than depending on God. So you'll never find a you'll never find a Catholic, a true Catholic, one who's living the Catholic life fully, among the rich, because to be among the rich is to use usury as one of your principal tools. Now, for those of you who are bankers, who realize, or or who are among the wealthy, who happen to be listening to this, this is not a judgment on you. This is a warning that usury is evil. That there's nothing you can do to make usury good. And you can kind of get this in the understanding of the determ- of like St. Thomas Aquinas's determination of of what is morally good. In order for something to be morally good, it can have no defect. None. So, the object has to be good, or at least neutral. The use of the object has to be good, or at least neutral. And the intent has to be good, or at least neutral. If there is any defect in any of those, if there's anything that makes those inherently evil, for example, if the object, in this case, usury, is evil it doesn't matter how good your intention is it doesn't matter how good the uses are the fact is is that the object is evil usury is evil so there's no way to use usury and achieve a moral good because the object itself is evil So if you happen to be a Catholic finance guy and that's what you do is move huge sums of money around and you use, or you happen to be a cat, like I hate to say it, but your salvation may depend on your distancing yourself from the tool that brought you all of your wealth. And I say may depend in that sort of way that, you know, is understating. Your salvation actually depends on you distancing yourself from that. Like I said, it doesn't matter how good it is, your use. The fact is, is that user is objectively evil. You're gonna wanna distance yourself from that if you wanna make it into the kingdom, it's that simple. It's not a judgment on your moral character. If you'll notice, I haven't actually talked about people in terms of good and evil with regards to the four, to the four main political categories usury itself is evil that's what poisons the whole rich side of the equation that's it it's not a moral judgment on any of the individuals who are themselves rich i don't care that's not that's not the topic the topic is to, the topic is out there so that you understand what's going on You wonder why so so many rich people can do so many things that are just so bonkers. It's because they're not anchored in truth, because they cannot understand that the core of what it is that they do to generate all of their wealth, to build their so-called empires, is evil. And they choose to stay in that error, which diminishes and darkens their intellect. And the longer they continue to do so, the harder it is for them to actually figure out what is good. Because they're denying the core truth that the way that they generate their wealth is evil. It's that simple. Their moral judgment is flawed, and it will continue to be flawed. So you wonder, hey, why does it seem like this guy always goes bonkers and does something off the wall that is completely wicked? It should not be a surprise if that person is one of the rich. They've got a darkened intellect. <clears throat> the enlightened intellect, the divinely the divinely enlightened intellect, the illuminated by the grace of God intellect, does not participate the way other people participate in it. It's not to say that they are not sinners, but their intellect has been illuminated enough to know that the way that the way a large portion of the population uses money is wrong. so they'll never be among the rich. At best, they'll, you know, they'll be well-to-do, they'll pro- be able to provide for themselves, they'll be able to provide for themselves and their families, they may even be able to provide for their community, but they are not the rich. Because fundamentally, they work for the fruits of their labor. However it is they manage to make, they work for the fruits of their labor. They do not cause the fruits of their labor to be seed for more fruit. If money is the, if, if cash is the, is the fruit of your labor, you do not work for cash to be the seed for more cash. Because once you do that, you you imbue into an inanimate object that which is not right for that inanimate object. I can't take little kernels of gold and plant them in the earth and grow more gold. I can't take, you know, like you do with potatoes where you cut the eyes off of the potatoes and you cut and you and you plant the eyes so that you get more potatoes. You can't do that with a dollar or a euro or a yen or a, or a or a won. And when you go to do that, that act is usury. Now, what does that mean for the world? Well, knowing that, let's look at the banking crisis that just popped off these last couple of weeks. At the beginning of the banking crisis, unbeknownst to anyone, was the dissolution of a bank called Silvergate. Silvergate dissolved itself. It didn't fail by force. It saw the writing on the wall, mene, mene tekel uparsin, and they decided to close their doors and they made an announcement due to regulatory and industry pressures. It is in our best interest to go ahead and liquidate and shut down operations. What did Silvergate do? They were a cryptocurrency bank. Predominantly. I'm sure they did other things, but predominantly their whole shtick was cryptocurrencies. What were the industry pressures? Well, the industry is headed in a direction of central bank digital currency, CBDC. CBDC is not cryptocurrency. It's digital money. What's the difference? Money is has the imprimatur of the state. Cryptocurrency doesn't. Money has the imprimatur of the state, therefore it belongs to the state. whose, Whose image is on the coin? It's Caesar's. Well, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render unto God that which belongs to God. Cryptocurrencies were trying to eliminate, quote, Caesar. So the whole point behind Bitcoin was because the government fiat currencies were being heavily manipulated. Bitcoin came out in the aftermath of 2008 market collapse. They, became, they started to rise to prominence in 2009, 2010. Why? Because the governments of the world all decided that they were gonna do whatever it is that they wanted with the currency to make sure that everything looked like things were running straight while they continued to consolidate more and more power. Well, Bitcoin gave the governments the idea, what if we had this power? Now, Bitcoin initially was used by criminals. Why? Because, well, criminals are going to criminal. They're going to crime. That's what they do. But it began to rise to prominence because Bitcoin did something that governments wouldn't do. Bitcoin put a cap on how many Bitcoins were ever going to be in existence. In that manner, it became more similar to gold than it did a dollar. Because there is no cap. There's no reason to have a cap on the number of dollars. Why? Because the more dollars you have, the more dollars you can spend, the more dollars you can borrow, the more dollars, the more dollars, the more dollars. The fiat currency system is an entirely usurious system. Bitcoin was an effort to get away from the the usury part of the system and say, no, there's only ever going to be a finite amount. Anything that is finite in the material sense has more value than the infinite. Case in point, the 1969 Pontiac GTO Judge. There aren't that many of them left in the world. So when you can find one that is in immaculate condition in all of, with all the original components in its best, most prime condition, that car is worth significantly more than any car is actually worth. They consistently sell in the 200 dollars to $300,000 range. Why, does that, why is that important? Because that is, even if you account for inflation, that's more than 30 times the market value of a 1969 Pontiac GTO judge. If you find one in immaculate condition that is all original, that doesn't have a salvage title, that has all of its original paperwork, its maintenance documents, this, that, and the other was cared for properly, this is by far the most valuable of all Pontiacs or among the Pontiacs, because it is rare. It is significantly more valuable than a GTO Judge clone made out of, like, a Pontiac Le Mans that was basically decked out to look exactly like a GTO, even though physically they look like the same car. The fact is, is that the actual Judge is more rare. It's significantly more rare than the clone. And because it's significantly more rare than the clone, the clone is always going to be worth 10 times less. Now, imagine if you could 3D print infinitely the Pontiac GTO Judge, the 1969 Pontiac GTO Judge. The original, because it is still rare, is still going to be worth more. And it's going to be worth to a near infinite degree more than the one that you could just three, like you hit control P print on your computer and there pops out a judge. Why did I use the Pontiac GTO judge? It's actually specifically for the word judge. You be the judge. Bitcoin, by do, choosing to do that which the fiat currencies won't do, immediately became more valuable. Right off its inception. As soon as they were like, hey, this is finite. The, the value of Bitcoin went from like a quarter of a penny to $1,000. And those guys who had like five or 10,000 Bitcoin at a quarter of a penny As soon as everybody realized, oh, this is going to be finite, it's locked into the algorithm, it's a completely secure currency, the people who dove in immediately were made wealthy. Immediately. Why? Because they took their, like, 50 bucks in Bitcoin that they bought at a quarter of a penny, and that 50 bucks was immediately magnified 20,000 times, and then 20,000 more till it reached its peak, and I think they went from 0.02 pennies per coin to $66,000 per coin. The markup, that magnitude of inflation, wasn't really inflation. I mean, it was the inflation of the dollar. The Bitcoin is still 0.02 pennies per coin. That's the operating cost. Like that's the approximate operating cost. It hasn't actually changed, at its base. In order to mi- in order to mine the currency, it hasn't changed in the cost. The problem is that the dollar is worth so much less, that that one little digital blip, that's spread out across the blockchain, is significantly more valuable than a dollar. And as soon as that kicked in, as soon as that became a reality in the marketplace, government started looking and going. Okay, we need something like this. And oh, hey, by the way, if we can kill Bitcoin, let's do that too. Recently, that's indicated by the, by, the, by the introduction of what they call the UCC. The UCC delegitimizes all cryptocurrencies in states' digital currency, digital money, as the coin of the realm, and is to be a central bank digital currency. So it kills Bitcoin, it kills cash, and it puts all of the control in the central banks who have made all of these very, very crappy decisions over the last several decades. They want a system they can control. They want a system that guarantees a specific outcome. That's what they're looking for. That's what generally everybody who engages in usury is looking for. They're looking for a specific material outcome. In so doing, they're engaging in a, in an evil that is beyond even, I, in all honesty, I think it might even be beyond what Satan himself had conceived. Might be. I doubt it, in all honesty. As now that I'm thinking about it, they wanted to guarantee an outcome. Well, I mean, that's what the devil wanted. The devil wanted for himself what he knew he could never have. In this case, in our case, it's a guaranteed outcome of financial prosperity. In his case, it's sitting on the throne of God so that he can have all of the adoration, all of the beauty, all of the wonder, so that he could do all of those great things, so that he could be the center of the universe. If you'll notice, a lot of these people, that's really what they're looking for. They're looking for control. They have no control over their own lives. These are some of the most lecherous, disgusting people on Earth. They have no control over themselves but they want control over everything else so that this way they know they can have their prosperity guaranteed. They can have their quote unquote well-being, which in all honesty, from a Catholic and Christian standpoint, is the very opposite of well-being. And it shows. Marxist feminists are not happy people. Klaus Schwab is not a happy person. Mitch McConnell is not a happy person. Joe Biden is not a happy person. You know who's happy? Your local traditional priest. Fundamentally happy. Yeah, they may be suffering. They may have illness. They may have persecutions. They may have all of those things that they're dealing with. But fundamentally, they are happy. Fundamentally, traditional Catholics are happy. Fundamentally, the more Christian you are, the happier you are. The family that's a husband and wife and nine or ten kids is happy. Ryan Grant of Mediatric Press just lost his wife. By the way, pray for the repose of the soul of Sarah Grant. <clears throat> By all accounts, she's an amazing Catholic woman. In the way that she passed, she died a Catholic holy death. All of the marks, all of the marks that you would look for for a holy death Sarah Grant had. But even so, we don't know what else might have been hiding out there. So pray for the repose of her soul. And pray for Ryan Grant and his children because they just lost their, mu- they, he just lost his wife and they just lost their mother. And they're definitely going to be struggling from here forward. But as long as they hold fast to the faith, as long as, the, as long as Ryan continues to live the life that Christ has laid out for him as best he can, Ryan and his children will be fundamentally happy. We know this to be true. Ryan, I really am praying for you. I'm praying for you and your family. I know you're going through a difficult time but I also celebrate the fact that your, that your wife even though she's no longer around to be, to, be your, to, to be your wife and no longer around to be mother to her children she died a holy death by, by all accounts and I praise God for that I praise God for that and I pray for her and I pray for the repose of her soul and for, and for the continued endurance of your family in these tremendously difficult times May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. As long as they stick to the faith, they're going to be fundamentally happy. The people who don't, by the, to the degree by which they do not stick to the faith, you can actually see their decrease in happiness. It is, it is inverse. Your, your happiness is inverse, inversely proportionate or excuse me, it's directly proportionate to your adherence to the faith. The closer you are to the I mean, you have like um, Saint Joseph Benoit de Labre. Um, he was a pauper. He was a beggar. He had one set of clothes for winter and summer. He basically lived on the steps of, of whatever church he happened to be sleeping in front of. He's a saint. Fundamentally, he was happy. King Saint Louis IX fundamentally was happy. On a fundamental level, he was full of joy. Yes, he suffered illness. Yes, he went on crusade. Yes, he died. But France prospered. His people prospered. He is in heaven. Eternally happy. Eternally, eternally in the presence of joy itself. And the further away you get from that, the closer you get to people like John Kerry, who, for some strange reason, has never held, I mean, once he got out of the Navy, he never held a real job. And thinks he is going to be part of that elite group of people who are operating for the salvation of the earth. What a boob. All of those people who are pulling all the strings, most everybody who's in the club, in the rich category, they're pulling the strings, they're doing everything that they can, they're going to fail almost to a man every last one of them is old crusty old they're right on the precipice of eternal damnation and they can't see it they're still pushing for the garbage that they're pushing for they're going to continue to do that this generation will this generation of psychopath, psychopathic boomers is going to die off I pray that many of them convert. I would love to see many of them with the beatific vision. I'm not expecting it. I'm not. Because the boomer generation, probably above and beyond any other generation, rejected... I say probably. Obviously, their their parents led them down that path. But the boomer generation rejected a whole cloth anything even remotely resembling the Catholic faith and as they've taken more and more power in this country they've gone pushed us more and more in that direction and they basically run everything right now they're at the top of all like they're at the top of all of all of the departments around the world and there are some exceptions obviously you get trudeau you know up in canada and macron up over in france they're kind of young but you look at all the rest the rest of them are old crusty boomers who have rejected the faith who have rejected righteousness, who have rejected truth, who have rejected self-sacrifice. I mean, that was the whole thing behind their generation, is they didn't sacrifice anything. They went out and they did all the drugs, they had all the fun, they had all the sex, they went out and did all of those things, and then as soon as they realized, oh crap, we suffered kind of tremendously, they immediately tried to slam the door to make sure nobody could follow them, and they looked like tremendous hypocrites because they were. You had people like Keith Richards who coming out, in the '90s, saying that kids should not do drugs, knowing full well that nobody can do any more drugs because they have to because they have to burn him, they have to like they have to cremate him and then smoke his ashes to do drugs because he did all the drugs. They talked about protecting their children from their own depravity, but they've gotten so old now, and they remember the fact that and they look back fondly at those depraved memories of theirs and now they're the same people who are advocating to just go ahead and let it go don't worry about drag queens drag queens are fun they're not going to corrupt your kids i mean they came out and did a musical song just explicitly saying we'll convert your children like they told us flat out what they were going to do and everybody's surprised that they're doing it and they can do it why because of the boomers because the boomers opened the door. Because the boomers rejected they rejected traditional marriage when they were children. And they reject traditional marriage now. Well, of course they're going to let Pete Buttigieg determine what marriage is. Guy can't fill a pothole in South Bend, Indiana, but let's get him to run the entire transportation industry in America. Why not? Let's just do that. We'll take the most incapable people who are living their best lives, as they say, and put them in charge of everything so that they can run them in the same manner that they live their best lives. And we wonder why everything's falling apart, why everything looks like a unmitigated disaster. It's because there's no one there adhering to truth to mitigate it. These things are not flaws. They're not, oh, this this isn't just happenstance. These are the features and benefits of the outcome of reje- of the rejection of truth. And so while there may be many people um, among the poor who are stuck in the income debt system, you know, the way money actually is supposed to work, it's not for lack of trying on their part because they want to get away from it. That's why those three witches who founded Black Lives Matter Global Organization or whatever they call it, Black BLM Inc., as it were, why they collected up $90 million and then they spent it on themselves. I'm going to go ahead and buy a $5 million property for my mom because my mom, blah, 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 whatever, doesn't matter, don't care. And we're surprised. They have no conception of the truth, no conception of reality. Yes, they managed to make it. And the best part about it is, is I mean, the founders of BLM are just as poor as everybody else. They're just as dumb. They don't understand how money, how, how debt works, how, you, how the usury system works. None of them are going to be counted among the billionaires. They're just going to have their thing for a time. Why? Cuz that's all you get. Because the wealthy, because people who are wealthy beyond the dreams of avarice die. Because people who steal die. Because the wages of sin is death. Bill Gates can manage to get his technocratic, transhumanist utopia, and he will be dead and gone long before his brain is uploaded into the Matrix. Possibly in the process of uploading his brain in the Matrix. He is still dead and gone. And the AI that replaces him is probably just going to be some demon. Probably. Maybe. Assuming it's even that much. Because in truth, one of the things, yeah, you know, AI may be able to write a thesis for a college. I mean, let's be real for just a minute. Look at the quality of people that are coming out of that college. So is that really an achievement? You got people who are graduating with with advanced degrees, masters and and PhDs and all that other crap, who can't change their own oil, who cannot comprehend the function, like the theory of operation, of the most rudimentary of devices. Who can't even balance a checkbook. Do you honestly think I'm impressed that ChatGPT can write a thesis or write a book? I don't care. Oh, but they can challenge, they can't challenge Tolkien. They're not going to challenge H.P. Lovecraft and the quality of storytelling, they're going to get the rudimentary crap that's published today. That's not, we're not, there is no chat GPT that's actually Shakespeare, boss. There's no, that, that quality of writing is not there anywhere. All of these people who are coming out with all of, like, oh, well, it's, well, I mean, it's on par of this, that, and the other. Okay, cool. But the people who are grading the thesis statements of ChatGPT and other AI programs, they're not the brightest people. Oh, they can exceed, bro, they exceed stupid. Okay, cool. Chat G- AI can currently generate stuff. I mean... I don't see a fundamental difference between AI-generated quote-unquote art and Father Rupnik's art. Except that Father Rupnik is actually a human being, so he's capable of creating art, but you look at the art he creates, it's disturbing. In the same way that AI art is disturbing. Yeah, there's some of his stuff that's fascinating and cool-looking. But the closer you... like, I don't know if you've ever actually looked at some of the religious pieces, like the stuff that where they put in and go, okay, I want a religious theme, this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. You look, and it's demonic because it's the way people see religion today. People, not religious people, but just people, see religion today, and so it ends up coming out, and it looks, and it, it has the form of high art without having... The beauty, it's fascinating, not beautiful. And I would highly recommend that you look up the, the, the fundamental differences between those two words, because <clears throat> you'll understand, you, You'll understand. like, if, if you don't understand what I mean when I say it's fascinating, but it's not beautiful, um, I highly recommend that you look it up because words matter, and I chose those two words with explicit, particular intent. I'm not worried about art replacing people. I'm worried about people deleting themselves. I'm not worried about Skynet. I could care less about Skynet. For those of you who aren't tracking, Skynet is a real thing. That's what China named their monitoring system for their social credit system. They got facial recognition and this, that, and the other. They got the whole schlemiel, and they they actually explicitly called it Skynet. I'm not worried about Skynet in America. Even if we build Skynet in America, I don't care. I'm not worried about that. This is a boat we get from point A to point B. It's a bus from point A to point B. We are in transit. This is not our destination. The world was built for us to transit through, not for us to occupy. So I don't care what the world is like. Oh, there's going to be tremendous suffering. I don't care. If that's what God allows on the earth, then that's what God allows on the earth. He built it. He made me. It's his rules. Yes, I will empathize with the tremendous amounts of suffering, but I'm not going to raise my fist at God and say, why did you do this? It'd be like my coffee cup telling me, why haven't you put me in the dishwasher yet? Sorry, coffee cup. You don't get the choice. I will choose when you go in the dishwasher. I love that coffee cup metaphor. It's only because I drink a lot of coffee. <clears throat> Anyhow. Huh, Ended up way off topic. Oh, well. We did manage to cover the four political archetypes, the actual political archetypes. That was kind of the fundamental process. It's kind of the point. I know I couldn't possibly spend an hour talking about those four things, except for, you know, kind of dipping in and illustrating the bigger picture and all that. Which didn't, I, I gotta be honest with you, as I'm thinking back over everything I've said, I covered the core... That's what it is. There's four political archetypes. The rich and the poor, the idealist, and the one in the club. I need to come up with a better word. Oh, the idealist and the ideologue is really the difference. An idealist is always aiming, like, actually legitimately aiming for those ideals. An ideologue is the one who's going to tell you about it. The virtue signaler and the virtuous. Anyhow, that's it. I know it's hard. We need to pray for our leaders. They think they're elite. We need to pray that out of them. They think they're in charge. We need to pray that out of them too. They're slaves. We need to pray for the church, because they're just as duped by all this other garbage. And we need to pray for the people that they free themselves from their own slavery. That they look to God to pour out his grace so that they may be freed from the various things that that enslave them. Whether it's pornography, or usury, or theft, or fornication, or anything material, pray. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.